This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Elliot Saunders for Amityville Mayor. Elliot Saunders, the people's choice, the right choice. Paid for by Amityville Citizens for Saunders. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's an Amityville week on Pod Cemetery with 1982's Amityville 2, The Possession, and 2015's Amityville Playhouse. If you didn't stick around to our conversation at the end of the last episode, our standards for moving through the Amityville franchise are we will get through the numbered entries, which I believe are the first four And every other one needs to have been released in theaters or a made-for-television movie. We are not doing straight-to-video. There are just too many Amityville movies to do that. And I hear most of them are terrible. Yes. (laughs) Listen, even with our current standards of you at least needed to be shown in a theater, it still did not guarantee a minimum amount of quality for this episode. No, it did not. (laughs) Not at all. Nope. Uh, Well, let's get into our first movie, 1982's Amityville 2, directed by Damiano Damiani, screenplay by Tommy Lee Wallace, and an uncredited contribution by Dardano Sacchetti, based on the book Murder in Amityville by Hans Holzer, and starring James Olsen, Burt Young, Ratanya Alda, Jack Magner, and Diane Franklin. Tommy Lee Wallace, we know that name. He's been on this show before because he wrote and directed Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which came out the same year. Yeah, uh uh-huh. He directed both movies the same year? Well, he wrote this one. Oh. And he wrote and directed Season of the Witch. Mm. He would also later write the, not screenplay, but teleplay for the It miniseries. Really? Yeah, uh-huh. He wrote this. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Ed and Lorraine Warren were also advisors on this film. Cool. Of course. You know how they were totally not involved in this case whatsoever? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> we also have seen Ratanya Alda before. She was a supporting character in The Dark Half. Was she? I couldn't help but notice that she looked just like... Or was trying to look just like Dee Wallace the whole film. Yeah, you think? Yeah. It was Interesting. Just, it was very distracting. <laughs> uh, a couple of other of the actors are actors that you might recognize from other popular things, but we'll talk about them when we get to them. What is Amityville 2, The Possession, all about, Kelsey? It's basically the DeFeo story about a guy who kills his entire family. Yeah. One night and then claims that he was possessed. Yeah, it's weird because something you're going to need to just come to grips with is that this is Amityville 2, but it tells sort of the story of the murders that happened before Amityville 1. Even though 
this happens chronologically and chronologically it happens after. afterwards. Yeah. And we did talk about DeFeo because remember they find a newspaper in the first one showing DeFeo getting arrested and he looked exactly like James Brolin. We know our guy's not that. So it's like it's a weird sort of like prequel sequel kind of unrelated. Just don't think about it. It's a different Amityville story happening in the same house. Literally the same house, by the way. This is the house from the first one, which is not the actual house. It's nearby. <laughs> the movie is available to rent for about $4 or buy for 10 to 15 on streaming services. Should people watch Amityville 2? If you're a fan of the original and you're a fan of The Exorcist, then yeah. Otherwise, no. Yeah, we mentioned, we first watched the Amityville series in episode 50. So a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we didn't mention that there are a few things that feel maybe a little bit stolen from The Exorcist and that Evil Dead sort of stole from that mm -hmm. you know and so it's this weird sort of oh i i recognize that mm -hmm. this one it's called the possession like let's not mince words here it is like half of the movie is just the exorcist or yeah. the exorcist three kind of well it's funny it stole from the original exorcist and it also stole a little bit from evil dead yeah and then i feel like exorcist three stole a little bit from this I thought that was fun. Yeah, that's what it is. That's the way it, it runs out. But yeah, it's something else, man. If you remember back to the first episode when we covered the first movie, we weren't the biggest fans of it. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised I gave it as high of a score as I did because I talked about it so like I hated it. Yeah, you gave it a 69. Mm -hmm. I gave it a 63. But to hear me talk about it, I'm surprised I gave it that high. I mean, we were okay on it, but it was kind of boring. Mm -hmm. It didn't need to be as long as it was. Kind of nothing happens, nothing really. Happens. You know, we would have been more interested to see the original DeFeo case. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we're getting here. Yes. And there's some intriguing shit going on in this movie, for sure. Stuff happens in this movie, mm -hmm. I gotta say. But is it a must-see? No. There's some weird shit no. happening in this movie. There is some weird shit happening in this movie. Some surprising stuff, too. But you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1982's Amityville 2, The Possession. Five years ago, the Lutz family fled their home in Amityville, New York. They were lucky to escape with their lives. But the previous owners, the Montellis, weren't so lucky. They were caught by the original evil that possessed the house. An evil that drove their son to destroy everything and everyone he loved. Now, Amityville 2, The Possession, rated R. Start tomorrow, AFCO Westwood, Paramount Hollywood, and selected theaters. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Amityville 2 begin? By showing us that the house is for sale again. And they're playing this irritating music that I think is supposed to be reminiscent from Rosemary's Baby. This kind of la-la-la. It's got la, the la-la-la music going but on, it's yeah. it's terrible and annoying. Not scary and ominous. 
we find out that the father is Polly. Polly! <laughs> Yo, Polly, your sister's with me. I'll call you back later. And he's just as much of an asshole in this movie as yeah. he is in Rocky. <laughs> That's Burt Young. And yeah, he's kind of what if Polly from Rocky had a family and lived, you know, in upstate New York. And ha- yeah, had enough money for this amazing house. Somehow. Do we ever find out what he does for a living? I feel like we do. Okay. But I don't remember what it is. I suppose this is definitely supposed to take place after is the original, it? right? Who knows? <laughs> don't really tell us. Because it does crib a lot of stuff from the DeFeo story. Yeah. But it very clearly takes place in the 80s. The cars, the technology. I don't know. But he is a very domineering father, and that is before they ever step foot in this house. So the other two movies... The guy is a great dad yeah. who is then turned into a monster by the house. Yeah. This dad this doesn't one, seem much affected dick. by the house, actually. Well, I mean, ultimately he is, but... No, his... I mean, from the get-go, like, right. he makes his That's kids call him sir, and he shames his kids, and he... You think you're old enough to take on your old man? Yeah. Well, why don't you give it a shot? You know, like one of those kind of dads. Don't be smart, boy. You're not too big for a whipping. Yeah, I know. You proved that to me. Okay. You know, you're pushing it. You're right on the edge. Dad, I just stopped at the corner for a pack of cigarettes. Stop your whining. You're going to be a man by smoking cigarettes? Now you're growing a little fuzz over here? Learn how to take some orders. You hear me? I didn't hear you. Yes, sir. Yeah, not a good guy. But the eldest daughter seems very chipper and cheery. This is Diane Franklin playing Patricia. Do you recognize her at all, Kelsey? Oh, yes, of course I do. She's in Better Off Dead. Uh-huh. She's the she's Monique, the foreign exchange student slash love interest to, to John Cusack. Yes. And, and Bill and Ted. She is Ted's girlfriend, Princess Joanna and Bill and Ted. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that was fun, except that she's a weird character. So it's not that much fun. Her older brother is played by an actor who looks just like Alfie Allen, the guy from Game of Thrones. Yeah, Reek from Game of Thrones. What is his real name? Can you please look that up? I hate that we always refer to him as Reek. Theon Greyjoy. This guy, I swear, could be his dad. Totally, yeah, uh uh-huh. He looks just like him. Very much so. Has he ever been anything else? No. Like, that's the amazing thing, is he has been in literally nothing. No, that's not true. Not even a named character in Firestarter in 84. Other than that, this is it. Like, literally nothing else. I wonder if he's alive. It appears he is, in fact, alive. Oh, good. When they come in, the windows are nailed down. Did that happen in the original? Uh, Probably. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember us talking about yeah, it. I don't think we talked mm-hmm. about it. Immediately, the mother sees blood coming out of the the faucet, and she immediately shakes it off and says, I'm so crazy. Like, well, because then no water starts coming out, and she's like, oh, it must have been nothing. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> no big deal. I do have a note here that says, right away, it's certainly haunted. And <laughs> I don't mean because of that. There are often moments like that in movies where they string us along like the audience knows it's haunted but nobody in the house knows it's haunted it's just weird shit's happening but coming up soon there's something that's like 
oh, the house is fucking haunted. And people see, like, shit flying around on its own. Oh, immediately, the eldest son feels the house. Uh Uh-huh. And, like, is obviously being prepped to be possessed. Yes, but even still, you could write that off as just, like, you know, he's in a bad mood or whatever. I'm saying, like... In the kitchen, like, the doors open and shut and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Like, the big, bold ghost moves that you wouldn't get till, like, the climax of a paranormal activity movie is happening right away, but not to everybody. Hmm. Like, uh, later on, the paintbrushes are going to paint on the wall and the kids are like, oh, yep, this place is fucking haunted. Yeah, but of course they're... But nobody abusive believes. father yeah. doesn't believe them. That's just because he's an abusive dad. The mom's like, what the fuck happened in here? Yes. Anyway, continue on. Immediately, there is a weird conversation between the brother and sister. Yeah. About uh, what they are attracted to, and... It's awkward as fuck. Yeah, it's really strange. (laughs) You're getting heavy. Hey, you used to hug me all the time. That was when you were lighter. No, that's not because now you're old and snotty. Well, there is another reason. What? You're not my type. Oh. You like them tall? Big boobs. That is none of your business. How about you? What's your type? I like them sensitive, dark, and about this high. You're ridiculous. No! Come on, let's get to know the house. This is before they anything has happened in this house. Well, that's not true. Like I said, he is feeling prepped to be possessed. Yeah. So maybe that's not true. But there were rumors that Ron DeFeo and his sister Dawn had an incestuous relationship. There were? Mm-hmm. Can Apparently. You, where have you heard that? Apparently there is a line in the Holzer book that this is based off of, which sort of offhandedly mentions that it was like a known fact. But no source for that. Hmm. And can you trust the accounting in the book? No. I don't think you can. Right, yeah, uh uh-huh. But that will come up later. Yeah. So their moving guy is helping the missus put everything away in the basement. And he notices that she has another room at the back of it. Yeah. And he offers, free of charge, to go in and check it out for her. So in the original, this was a portal to hell. Yes, it was. And now it's just a crawl space that drips black shit on you. Yeah, he gets in there and it's disgusting. And he's like, it must be a busted sewer line. And there's all these flies and it stinks. He ends up running out. And uh, she's just like, no, no big deal. And just goes right back to what she's doing, even though a grown man ran out. Right. She said she was going to get something for him, too, or do something for him, and then starts folding laundry again. Yeah. Yeah. Folding linens. It was odd. But that makes it so that she is now down there by herself, Uh primed to feel a gust of wind. And someone touching her, fingers on her arm, as she describes it. And then her son just tells her, oh, mom, you must have imagined it. Right. Is it just me, or is there also a little bit of flirtation between these two? You think that's why she blames her daughter and not him later on? Yeah, right. (laughs) She jealous of her own daughter? You know, it's almost like, oh, my handsome son, if you weren't my son. Like, one of those sort of, like... 
gross. It's weird. It's weird. There's the, the weird undertones in this movie and some overt tones. Yes. But so they're all sitting down to have a meal and the eldest daughter puts this really nice tea set under this giant mirror that they just put up on the wall. Yeah. They get into an argument. Well, the mirror falls. In the middle of the argument. That's what kind of shuts everyone up, right? No, the mirror falling is what causes the argument. okay. They're all sitting down for dinner, and it's all great and going well. And then the mirror falls and breaks the tea set. But the mirror itself doesn't break. The mirror does not break. And the father immediately blames the son, because I guess the son is the one that put it up on the wall. Uh Uh-huh. It's just like... And then there's magically a crack afterwards that forms. Oh, is there? Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, staring at it as it cracks, yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's because the sun is the one that causes that. But the mother is really upset by this. Of course she is. And she's like, you know, all we've done since we got here is fight, which would imply that it's the house. But like I said, the movie implied that no, he was already a, a terrible family. father. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't get the impression that this is new. No. And that evening, after everyone's gone to bed, you can hear, like, this grunting sound implying that there is a ghost moving throughout the house. And we get the movement of the camera, which Mm -hmm. is what I said. It feels like they took from Evil Dead. And it, like, sneers. It makes a a sound like it's sneering at the cross that's on the wall. And then they took the tablecloth, which Chris and I were we were, we were pretty impressed yeah, by. It's a pretty great effect. I mean, you can see the, the strings and stuff. Well, you can see the stick that's on oh, the end. Yeah, that's like wrapped around. So what's going to happen is as the camera passes backwards through the dining room, from the kitchen through the dining room into the hallway. And I thought they filmed this backwards, but then I rewound to see what actually happens. It's like, no, they didn't. This is all live in camera in the right chronological direction. As it pulls into the hallway from the dining room, it's looking right at the dining room table. And then the tablecloth just gets pulled out from under the candlesticks and everything on there. I wonder if maybe it was under like a gl- a p- plane of pane of glass. Oh, sure, I'm sure there was some sort of trick like that. Mm-hmm. But then it sort of flies into the hallway and then gets stuck up against the wall. And you can see where they have the tablecloth wrapped around something. Yeah, but it's very impressive. But how they actually pulled it off in camera seemed pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it uses that to cover the cross, and the wife sees it. This might be the point where I was like, right away, this place is certainly haunted. At one well, point, she looks over there and she sees it stuck to the wall. Yes, because there is a loud knocking on the door in the middle mm-hmm. of the night. And no one's there when they get there. No one is there when they get there. But they don't have time to investigate the tablecloth because that's when the kids are going to scream because the paintbrushes come to life and write up on the wall, dishonor thy father, pigs. 
I love that the father just assumes that they did this, but it's like, how could they even have reached right. the top of their wall? How could they have spelled dishonor thy father? <laughs> yeah, would they even know what that meant? Right, and they were freaking out and screaming like they were scared. Also, it draws a picture of a pig. This is a reference to the first movie with Jody we talk a lot about. But Polly, <laughs> which I'm going to continue to call him, is having none of this, and he's really mad, and he's raging, and then the wife is yeah, trying to calm him down. Their young children with a belt, and so the eldest son, who looks Sonny just is like his name. Alfie, yeah, <laughs> Alfie Allen, goes at him with a gun. Yes, which then the mother is like, "Stop!" and then picks the gun oh, up from his arm. It's so good, actually. So I think it's strange. No, no, it's it is a little strange, but I think that's okay. The dad just sort of, like, looks at him when he sees that a gun is pulled on him because he is obviously afraid, but he doesn't want to act afraid. And he's like, oh, is this it? It's almost like, oh, is this going to make you a man or whatever? And then finally he would pull the trigger or whatever. And then they're framed up on either side of the shot with the gun bridging the gap between them. And then the mom comes up behind them in the background and just walks forward in between the two of them and carries the gun with her as she walks forward. And now all of a sudden she's framed right in the center, not in the background anymore. She is, she's what the camera is focusing on as she's like, what's happening to us. Oh my God. What's happening to us. I, I thought it was a pretty compelling use of the space within the frame. I agree, but I thought it was strange. It's strange for people to act that way, yes. Yes. Yes, very much so. That night, the son will... Where does he hear the voice? Why, did you, why didn't you? Why did you pull the trigger? Is it, oh, it's in his it's headphones. It's in his headphones. It's in his yes. Walkman. Why didn't you pull the trigger? Which, by the way, I looked up the voices, and one of them is a person who played one of the uh, demons from Legend. Right, yes. Because we're wondering about that. All these demonic voices tend to sound like there are similarities between them. Again, Evil Dead, The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. But it asks, why didn't you pull the trigger? Yeah. Which is a, a fun question that a demon could ask somebody. <laughs> and so the mother decides to go and ask a priest to bless the home, because that's what you do in Amityville. Uh-huh. And that pisses off the husband because he does not he like doesn't, He doesn't go church. to church at all, yeah. During this time, we get, like, a moment with just the the young, young children. And, like, the girl puts a plastic bag over her brother's head. Yes. And is like, ha-ha, you're dead. And he's like, I can't breathe. And then she takes it off of him. Like, I'm just teasing you or whatever. Those are real... Brother and sister. This is Erica and Brent Katz. What the fuck is happening? Yeah, I don't know. What's the matter with you people? Wacko family. The priest ends up leaving because there's a dust up with Anthony, the father, Bert Young, Polly. <laughs> yeah, when somebody, I can't remember who it is that shakes the hand of the priest. When that happens, it upsets the house That's again. Sunny. And something falls and breaks. And, and again, the, the father blames the kids. Uh-huh. And so the priest is like, uh, I guess I'll leave. You don't need I'll to leave. hit the children. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, he, and he ends up leaving and he's like, maybe 
to the mother, maybe some other time would be better. <laughs> and perhaps maybe you, your husband and I could meet as friends. <laughs> the son is going to be tormented by the house a lot. Yeah. And he is going to get the gun and he's going to like, Fire it at whispers and nothing, and nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to be there. He's going to point it at nothing. And he feels like he's being watched, and he can hear laughter. And he feels really, really sick. And they do some fun camera work. There is a part where it's like you're going with the spirit just like an evil dead, but it like goes over his head and upside down. Oh, yeah, and then the camera flips, and yeah. Uh -huh. That was fun. And it gets inside of him it possesses him and the way that we know that it possesses him is by his neck pulsing and a green light comes on there's a lot of green light in this movie and then the pulsing moves up into his skull and it kind of reminded me a little bit of the howling change yeah sure there's gonna be a lot of that like makeup effects to show that somebody is being possessed or they're changing or being influenced in some way. A lot of like prosthetics that they'll put over their arms or their hands that have little passageways underneath them that are meant to look like veins. And then there's somebody off camera with a little squeezy pump just inflating it and then deflating it, inflating it and deflating it to make it look like, oh man, there's something supernatural going on under the skin. Uh, and then just you know, facial makeup to show that they're getting all fucked up. There's going to be a lot of that to signify possession. Yes. Just like there was in Exorcist 3. Yeah. He gives a terrible scream at the end of the transformation yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really bad. <laughs> and the house is freaking out. Right? And by the way, the rest of the family has gone to the church because the mother is forcing the father to apologize to the priest. Yes. I love that she wants to force him to apologize to the priest, but not to the children. Right, that he was hitting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And when he comes downstairs, he's like, oh shit, you guys are already back, the, the eldest son. Uh -huh. And the eldest sister's like, uh, yeah, we've been back for hours. Yes. Uh -huh. He's like, oh shit. <laughs> and then she tells him, her, his sister tells him, I don't think mom wants to make love to dad anymore. Right. I think he forces her to. Uh huh. There's something strange. I think mommy doesn't want to make love to daddy anymore. Tries to force her. I heard her crying. Uh-huh. And that's okay? There's a lot of, like, stark frankness around sexuality in this movie. That it's just these things are happening and these people are sexual. And that is a good and bad thing. Like, oh, it's just natural on one hand. And then on the other hand... Like, no, it could be violent and exploitative. And so it's, there's a weird sexual undercurrent happening throughout this entire movie. And some of it will bubble to the surface in ways like this. It's weird. <laughs> Gets weirder. Oh, yeah. It is about to get very weird. But of course, at this point, he's now possessed. Yes. But he's spending a lot of time just like fucking staring at his sister. But still, he's possessed. She's not. 
Yes. So there's a lot of fucking flirting going on here. Yeah, he gets her to pose as if she is a model, and then he asks her to do it naked. And then she just fucking does. Oh, I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's no almost big like she's deal. trying to seduce her brother. Yes. But then he's like, oh, by the way, I took your panties. And she's like, what? He Why? has them on him. And he's like, here, I took these. I have a secret I want to tell you. They're mine. <laughs> My panties. I took them from the laundry. But why? I smell them sometimes. <laughs> and that's when he kisses her, and we are then told later that they have sex. Uh-huh. And that's, you know, incest, and there you go. She ends up going to the church and trying to confess it, just that her brother had sex with some. No, she had sex with somebody, She had right? sex with someone. Yes. And the priest starts to tell her that that is a big, like... You must resist this temptation. Right. Like, it, it, it's interesting. It's like advice for the future. In a confessional sort of sense, it's very refreshing that he's not like, oh, you're fucking terrible. You're going to hell now. You need to beg for forgiveness. It's more like, oh, okay, I understand what happened. That happened. Let's talk about what you need to do going forward. Like, I, that was kind of refreshing, I got to say. But he's a bad priest, and we're going to find out how in a minute. Well, it's interesting because I, I don't know what she says, but he it leads him to ask, wait a minute, you don't love each other? It's yeah. purely a sexual thing? And she's just like, no, he does it to hurt God. Yeah, and that really offends the priest. Right. But it's weird because then- she would say that? Yeah, it's weird because then later she's like, do you feel bad about this? Because I don't. Yeah. It's so weird that she's not possessed. I mean, I guess, you know, it's always implied that when you're in the house, you could be susceptible to it. But the it. only other person who is, aside from the one who is directly possessed, who is like a violent and aggressive person, is the father. And we have every reason to believe he's always been that way. Mm -hmm. So it seems like the only impact that anyone has on themselves is either... Like, oh, things get really hot and you can't breathe and there are flies, like in the first one. Or you're starting to get possessed. Like, those well, are the only impacts the house has on you. Well, remember later when the priest gets the phone call from the sister who's dead at that point. Yeah. So maybe that's help, like, connecting, like, that she was connected to the house. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway... She runs out. She he runs tries to out. Run out after her, and he does not. Well, he doesn't run after her, but he does look out through uh -huh. the thing, which he definitely is not supposed to do. But far worse than that, later on, he is going to approach her, and while not completely saying out loud, he very much is implying that he's talking about her confession. Or no, he does say it's in his office. She comes to him later. And he's like, I think we should talk about your confession or whatever, which is a huge fucking no-no. Yeah, you can't do that. As soon as that happened, I was like, that's not, that's not what's supposed to happen. For those I, of you out there that aren't Catholic, like... I used to go to confession. I know how it works. Yeah, it. you cannot, you can never break that seal. Mm -hmm. Even with the person that made the confession, and even if you're alone, you can Isn't never talk about what's talked about in the murder? confession. Therapists in most states are mandated reporters. They do have to report something like that. 
But in most states, priests are not. That's nuts. Because your right to therapy isn't protected under the Constitution. Your right to your religion is. That's nuts. Uh Holy shit. So yeah, they can be exempted from mandatory reporting requirements. So the priest comes back to bless the house. I didn't say the priest. James Olson plays Father Adamski, I think is how you pronounce his name. For those of you that are like 80s action movie fans out there, this is General Kirby from Commando, John Matrix's old boss. Okay. (laughs) You ever seen Commando? No, I have not. (laughs) But so he has come back to bless the house. And when he blesses their marriage bed, all this blood comes out. Yes, and the wife who's there loses her mind. And then he goes to wash his hands and everything like that. And it's gone. And it's no longer on his clothes. And he looks back in the bedroom and it's not there either. It's just gone. And Alfie laughs his head off. Yes. uh Because he caused it. Alfie. Sonny is the character's name. We're also told by the eldest sister that Sonny is going to have a birthday party. And we find that out. That's why she goes to the, the priest. She has, she wants him to come to the party to take care, like, talk to her brother or something. Yeah. And uh-huh. he's like, I'm not going back to your fucking house. Your house is crazy. Yeah. And I'm going on a trip with this other priest. <laughs> yes, yes. They're going his, fishing or something. That his best friend is like, we are going on this thing. I uh-huh. don't care what your priestly duties are. So later on, when the when the older sister is going to call him back and, like, need his help, that friend is just going to lift it up off the hook and then set it down. Which is, I think, what later, when we get that same, when we get that phone call again, I think that's what she was supposed to be saying then yeah, when she uh-huh. was calling. Right. I don't know why, but I think my brother's trying to kill us. Yeah. At the birthday party, the brother... Tries to blow out his candle and he can't because it's a trick trick candle. candle, Yeah, and his mother, who's just so proud and loves him so much, oh son, gives him a big hug. Uh huh. Notices the way he hugs his sister. Yeah, and instead of being mad at you know the older one, her son. Uh huh. She is mad at her daughter. So what's going to happen is the son is going to be like, I don't want all these people here. I don't want to deal with any of this. He's going to silently go inside the house. And then his younger sister, the oldest daughter, Patricia, is going to go upstairs to find him. And the mom is going to watch her. And so they're going into the house alone while there's a party happening outside. Also, at one point, the oldest brother, Sonny... Looks at his family and he can hear the whispers again. They're like, they're pathetic animals. They'd be better off if you killed them. Yeah. Look at them. The pathetic animals. They'd be better off if you killed them. Don't you think so? <laughs> yes, you think so. So the brother and sister, Sonny and Patricia, are going to get into a fight here. This is where... Patricia says that thing about, I'm not ashamed or whatever. Do you feel bad? I don't. Right. (laughs) Oh, my God. What's the matter with you? Are you feeling guilty? I'm not. I got the impression that he's trying to, like, 
save her by telling her to get lost. Yeah, or maybe it's him seeing her as so pathetic and disgusting like the rest of his family. The idea of being physical with her disgusts him now. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe it's two sides of him. I don't know. You could interpret it either way or many other ways. But they get into an argument this way and she storms downstairs as the mother stops her and grabs her. What have you done with your brother? And slaps her. Yeah. uh And then says, do you understand what you've done? And it's just Uh like, what about your son? Do you understand what you've done? What's the matter with you people? Also, what you've done What's been done is the impact on these people. So, like, do you not understand what you've done? Like, your reaction to the fact that they might be psychologically damaged at this point or hurt in some way is to get angry at them. (laughs) Like, if you're that concerned about the potential fallout, maybe don't go hitting them. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Wacko family. But it's this night that shit's going to go down. Yes, we see that the brother has fully changed. He's got the full makeup now. Yeah. There's like the, there's a weird doll in a rocking chair at some point that was very, very strange. Love to find it for Twitter. And that night, I think that it's the sister who overhears her parents. Uh, the, the mom says, I don't want to have sex anymore. Our family is shameful. I don't want to wake up anymore. Yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah. And then she sees that her brother has a gun, but like doesn't do anything about it. And he goes in and ends up shooting the mom and the dad and then their little sister. And this is when Patricia's like, oh, shit, I need to get out of here. I need to save my brother. Tries to save her little brother. But he doesn't make it for very long. Also, not only are the windows shut again, but he's nailed the doors shut, too. Yes. And they are the biggest nails you've ever seen, like fucking railroad spikes. These gigantic nails. Good thing they just had those lying right, around. Right, uh-huh. Like nails that you think Jesus might have used. And she can't break the windows. I think it's implied that the house won't let her. Yeah, but they all end up dying right as Father Adamski wakes up. Yes, you were having a dream. Jesus Christ, it was a fucking dream. I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> I can't believe you've done this. And he's like, oh my God, I'm so worried about this family. What am I doing on this vacation or whatever? And he runs out on his friend, basically. They And they go to the house. And when he gets there, fucking cops everywhere. And people looky-loos and they're bringing bodies out. And he opens up the body bag and it's Patricia. Nope, not a dream. What a, what a twist twist. Oh, yes. Very good. It was, that was good. Like, I was so mad when I was like, really? It was all a fucking dream? No, it fully happened. That happened. That happened. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a dream. Like, oh my God, what we just reached is the turning point of the movie. Now we have the thing that the possessed person has done. And he's going to go off to prison. And now the priest is like the main character now. And for the rest of the movie, he's going to try to help save this young man who's been possessed. And this is when it becomes 
The Exorcist slash The Exorcist 3. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Not Exorcist 2, because nobody likes Exorcist 2. I gotta say, it was something else seeing Patricia dead like that, and how the movie is just gonna go on. Like, she's pulled off screen, and the camera stays on Adamski, and it's like, Patricia isn't our main character anymore. She kind of was mm-hmm. up to this point. A little bit. And so it's this weird sort of like a psycho switcheroo, but it happens with only a half hour left in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like really late in the movie. Well, yeah. Well, now they have to make it about the exorcism. Yeah. Uh-huh. You will notice at some point in here that Sonny has a Rocky poster on his wall. Of course he does. Uh-huh. But yeah, there's still like a half hour left. There's this whole long thing about how he has to get access to sunny and it's not interesting or important i just want to get to when he's there and i love some of the lines i do what i want i do what i want whatever whatever i do what i, I do want. what i want he actually says that uh-huh. and uh i love when the priest is like i will cast you out and the demon's response is you're not authorized to do that right there's yeah that's what Kelsey is skipping over is his whole thing with the church trying to get an exorcism and they won't believe him, etc. Yeah, he's not authorized to perform an exorcism. <laughs> and he starts to try to do it in the prison cell and then Sonny freaks out and they got to kick him out. Yes. There's something about ancient burial ground because, of course, there is. Yeah. <sighs> I didn't really understand what they were Did you get it? No, there will be more of that in the second movie we watch for this episode. Yeah, there will be. There will be. But he needs to get Sonny out. Uh, He ends up getting him out of the hospital. Because what happens to Sonny that he goes to the hospital? I don't remember. I do not remember exactly what happens. It might have been what happened during when he tried the exorcism or whatever, and then there was a bad reaction. Maybe, but the court throws out the the claim of him being possessed oh, because right, they yeah. say that everyone would say that. Uh-huh. Yeah, but then while, when he's in the hospital on his arm, it says, save me in blood, which is just like in the exorcist where it said, help me on yeah. her stomach. And the detective who's in charge of Sonny, sees it too. So the priest is like, oh my God. Oh, this detective, by the way, is Ted Ross. You might recognize him. He is the lion from The Wiz. Say what you wanna, but I'm here to stay cause I'm a mean old lion. He's also Bitterman if you've ever seen Arthur. Oh, he's Bitterman. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Arthur's so good. Yeah. (laughs) But he allows the priest to hit him over the head with his gun to knock him out. So he has plausible deniability, so he can leave with Sonny, mm-hmm. and he does, and he takes him to a church. Yes, so he doesn't lose his job. Uh, he, when, is, do they go to the church? They go to the church first, and then Sonny runs away, and then the steps of the church catch fire, preventing the priest from chasing after him, and this is what's going to allow Sonny to go back to the house. Okay, all right then. Yeah. Uh, well, when they get back to Amityville... There's blood on the walls, because of course there are, there is. The blood, like, comes towards the preach the priest, even though he says prayers and stuff. Okay, but he's just saying random shit. This is not an exorcism. No. There's a reason why he's not authorized to perform an exorcism. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And he tells Sonny to fight the evil inside him. 
as a storm like is happening inside the house. Yeah. I wrote this. The problem is what happens when you succeed at Domsky? You're fucked. There's no way you make it out of this. And he's supposed to be like, that's the price I pay for trying to take care of my parishioners, you well, know? But also, what's going to happen to Sonny? He's going to go to jail for the rest of his life. Sure, but that's going to happen no matter what. Like, yes, you've saved this young boy's soul. At last, the boy's soul is mine. And that's good enough for you, but you are so fucked. There is no positive way out of this. You're in so fucking deep. So what happens in this interaction between the two of them? I don't know, but at some point, he's like... An alien? He, he gets this crazy makeup. I was like, that's some makeup. Yep. Uh, but I was like, and like, Jesus, that face. Uh, but I was like, oh, but they ruined it with the special effect of him flying towards... Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It looks really bad. But as Adamski's trying to, like, exercise this demon, he's like, take me instead. Lord, why this young man? Let it be me, my God. Not him. Let it be me. So, I mean, the exorcist, that's how the exorcist ends. Take me! And Sonny just, like, breaks apart, and then there's this, like, all of his skin sort of just sloughs off of him, revealing this weird alien thing. Also, the fly, you know. The fly hadn't come out yet, but. Right, but there, that, yeah. It it felt very evil Or or. Or poltergeist. Poltergeist when he's peeling off his skin. But it's not like a skeleton underneath. It's this weird sort of alien bug thing. (laughs) As the father's screaming, let it be me, not him. Let it be me. And then. The house catches on fire. Yeah. The house like blows up. All the cops are showing up. And they show up and Sonny's fucking fine. And he kind of has no idea what's going on. And he's just being carted away by the police. We'll make them understand it wasn't your fault. That's the buddy. That's the priest's other priest friend who took him on the trip. Yes. Who's like, okay, we got to protect this guy because Adamski like kind of ruined himself in order to save this kid. So he takes him out of there and Adamski's just left slumped there on the floor. And he says, do not forsake me. He says, blessed Lord, Lord of my life, do not forsake me. Lord, Lord of my life, do not forsake me. Which is kind of what Jesus said yes. on the cross. And Why have you forsaken me? It's because he's been possessed now. He took on the possession, just like at the end of the exorcist. Yes. Only he doesn't kill himself. Yeah. I wrote down because the cops come in on him or whatever. After I said, you know, you're fucked no matter what happens here. You're totally fucked. At the end here, at this moment, I wrote, well, I guess the cops are the least of his worries at this point. Right. And the movie just ends with him possessed. Yeah. <laughs> Very strange. So. Anything else to say about Amityville 2, The Possession? It's not nearly, I mean, it's nowhere near as bad as I thought it was going to be. Not at all. I thought it was going to be terrible, but I was surprised at how much I liked. Like, I was vibing with this movie a little bit. It felt long, especially the fact that it's, like, bifurcated with the murders. (laughs) And then it's, like, two different movies on either end of it. And you're like, 
oh man, the murders are happening. Okay, I can I can truck with that. The movie's about to end. Nope. <laughs> There's a whole other plot that's going to happen after that. And you sort of feel that in your bones. Yeah, it feels long. But I was intrigued the whole time. There's a lot of weird shit. A lot of weird shit. <laughs> yeah, a lot of weird shit. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, I'm sure it's very low. There aren't enough votes for a consensus statement. Okay. 39. 16. Oh, my. Yeah. That's way too low. It is way too low. But, like, we're not saying it's a great movie. No. It's not better than the first one. But the first one we only liked okay. Yeah. So what would you give this one? I'll give it a 60. Okay. You know what? I'll give it a 60 as well. I think mainly because it did, in fact, surprise me with how it grabbed me. I thought it was going to be so much worse. Than exactly. It and then and then there's the next one and it, oh it, it is that bad. Oh, my God. Okay. So, real quick, the Metacritic was 34. Still too low. No cinema score. And that's Amityville 2 from 1982. Our modern movie in the franchise is Amityville Playhouse from 2015. Sure is. And good lord, is this one not only as bad as you hear that the Amityville franchise is, it's worse. Yeah, it's it's unbearable. Do not watch this movie. Directed by John R. Walker, with a story by John R. Walker, and screenplay by Steve Hardy. Starring, in quotes, Monell... Monili? Mon- Mon- I don't know how you pronounce that. It's Canadian. <laughs> uh, Lyndon Baker, Logan Russell, and John R. Walker, story writer and director, as Vic Stewart, the hero teacher. Of course, of course. Of course. Yeah. What is Amityville Playhouse about, Kelsey? Who cares? It's, <laughs> it's about. It's about a girl who owns a, a th- movie theater. Not a movie theater. It's a playhouse. A playhouse. Who cares? Uh, she owns a playhouse. It totally doesn't factor into the story in whatsoever. Amityville. And it's And she goes haunted. there with a bunch of her friends just to check it out. She is young, but her parents both died. And apparently, I don't know, is this where the house was originally? There's no water nearby, at least as far as I could tell. It's in Amityville, But it's just in the town. Yes, it's in Amityville. Yeah. And oh my God, do they dive in hard with the mythos? I have no idea if this is in any of the later Amityville entries prior to this one, but they dive in hard with the lore. In like one scene, they just just, look at all the stuff that's going on in this storyline. But anyway, the movie is available to rent for $5 and to buy for 10 on Amazon, Google, YouTube, and Vudu. Do not, under any circumstances, do it. No. It is terrible. It is so, so, so bad. Terrible. So, 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 bad. Like, not even in a way that... I, I thought there was a point. At one point where I was like, is this so bad it's good now? Nope. No, 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 no. It's not. It's just bad. Every single one of the actors is terrible, except for a few, including John R. Walker as Vic Stewart. He's not awful. No. But the movie sure as fuck is. It's so, so bad. I 
<laughs> it was painful to watch this, and it was very difficult to pay attention. Oh, man. At least the next modern Amityville movie is, like, a bigger theatrical release. The 3D Like, it has one? stars in it. No, I don't mean the old one, oh, Amityville okay. 3D. I mean Amityville Awakening, which is the next modern one that we'll be watching. <laughs> and it has, like, names in it. People we know can act. This is the interesting thing. Every single one of our main characters in this movie have never been in anything else. I totally believe that. And it very much shows. Yes. And worse, no one gave the script a second look. Every single word that the scriptwriter put down made it into this movie. The script is so... It is very horrendous. bad. Horrendous! Like, when you give bad actors bad dialogue, it... Oh, it hurts to watch it. Yeah, it is It is just horrible to get through. Yeah. So, I'm not even going to leave open the option that you not take our advice. You will take our advice. <laughs> when we get back, we will talk about 2015's Amityville Playhouse. It's over in Amityville. It'll be kind of a sleepover. We'll get pizza and stuff, tell ghost stories. It'll be kind of fun. I didn't know my dad even had a theater. It's been sitting empty for nearly five years. So can I have the keys? You really think someone else is in here pranking us? She got in, didn't she? Sister. <laughs> All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Amityville Playhouse begin? By first telling you about how Ronald DeFeo killed six members of his family and that he supposedly still stands by the statement that he said, demons made me do it. Which, which is objectively not the case, right? Yeah, he has changed his story many times, as far as I'm aware. Interesting. Also, interesting, this will never come up in the entire movie. Yeah. Other than the whole, like, demons made me do it thing. And even that is just people are going to get possessed at various points in this movie. So it's like, hey, this has happened before in the 70s. Like, that's all. They're just trying to set up that Amityville is a scary place. And I imagine there are references to other things in the franchise that we just don't know about because we haven't seen the movies yet. Like, her parents are dead. Who knows? Maybe that's in a previous movie. Because there is no explanation to what happened to her parents in this one. I doubt it. <laughs> I imagine that this is just supposed to be a haunted theater movie, and they decided to put it in Amityville yeah. to create a mood. Okay. That's what I imagine happened. All right, okay. There's no reason it needs to be a haunted theater. They do nothing with the theater aspect. Right. Like, nothing. It's just probably the only place that they could get rights to film in. Just think of the treasure trove of concepts you could try out having you know placing it in a theater 
dressing rooms, the stage. Well, they use the stage, but barely. Not, like, hardly at all. There's nothing about the fact that it's a stage that they Mm -hmm. use, which is frustrating. Anyway. There's terrible music playing. We see that it's called the Roxy, because of course it is. We see this guy. I think he's supposed to be the appraiser or whatever, and he'll come up later. It doesn't matter. He dies... But, like, when he dies, he drops his flashlight and it shatters. Yeah. And I was like, that's hilarious. Because if, it, if to, to get a flashlight to do that, you would have to smash it very much yeah. on purpose. Uh-huh. And all he did was drop it. I imagine they experienced that themselves and they had to sort of rig it to happen like that. And that should be your first tell that that wouldn't happen and maybe you should rethink <laughs> the concept. Maybe. We meet our main character, and she is terrible. She oh is beyond God. a horrible actress. She should not do any of the movies. I wrote down, I hope she's not the star. She's terrible. <laughs> you know, the guys, Kyle and Indy and Kyle's brother. It'll be kind of a sleepover. We'll get pizza and stuff, tell ghost stories. It'll be kind of fun. And she is. She is Monel Lestrat. Again, don't know how to pronounce her name. As Fawn Harriman. There are just some people that shouldn't act. <laughs> yeah. I hope she's terrible. The teacher she's talking to is way better, and he's just okay. I can see her reading her script in her brain. <laughs> is the note I have written down. And the teacher that she's talking to is, like I said earlier, Victor Stewart, played by John R. Walker, the story-credited writer and director. Well, he shouldn't write anything. The, the well, he just wrote the story. Abysmal. He's not the actual okay, screenwriter. Okay, he didn't write the dialogue. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, because this I'm sure dialogue he contributed to it, though. is so unbelievable. Oh, my God. It's oh just like, God. how did you not, when people read these lines out loud, how did you not hear that this sounds terrible? Right. Or at least know. how did the director not think, wow, these actors can't read these lines for shit, Maybe we should change some lines here. Right. Or let them, I don't know, ad-lib a little bit or something. I also wrote down, why does everyone have an accent? Oh, yeah, they're definitely Canadian, but they do not want you to know that they're Canadian. <laughs> also, there are there are more British people than there should be. Yeah, there's random British people all of a sudden in the movie, and you're there, just like... Part of the movie does take place in England. We get flashbacks. Yes. Okay, that's fine. There would be British people there. But back... In North America, there are just far too many people with British accents, and then everyone else has a Canadian accent, yes. which is very distinct if you live in either location. <laughs> also, the distance is written in kilometers. The first title card we get here is 55 kilometers from the Canadian border, which it would be, but turns out this movie was a Canadian-slash-British production. No shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was partially filmed in the UK, so I imagine... Any of those scenes that were filmed in the UK, regardless of where they take place in the movie, use local actors, and that's why they have accents. I would assume. That's my guess. Anyway, go ahead. She's telling her teacher that she's going to have a sleepover and tell ghost stories with people in, in a theater, and he's like, well, you shouldn't do that with Kyle. She's like, people get the wrong idea about Kyle, and it's like... We are never told why she defends this guy, why she's dating him, because he's just an asshole the entire movie. Not even once do they have, like, a loving, tender moment. Not a single redeeming element to this person. It's like they, they decided they wanted to make him, oh, he's kind of a dick. 
But the only way they knew how to do that was every single line of dialogue is him being mean to somebody. And besides, with the freaking Brady Bunch for company, I think Campfire Songs is about as exciting as it's gonna get. Every single one. Do you think it's haunted? No, Indy hasn't shown up yet. Funny, funny. Every single line. What's so funny, butthead? I wrote down, oh my God, the boyfriend. Oh, the lawyer. Oh, they're all terrible. <laughs> yeah, they're all, all really bad. <laughs> She had to get, it so doesn't fucking matter. She goes to get the keys from the lady who runs her family's estate because her parents are dead. Why this is in the movie, I don't know. Like, why is this scene in here? Well, so we can get the reveal that she's involved The reveal is that she's somehow involved, but that never comes up again? Right. She also just happens to live in this city that is not Amityville. It's not Amityville where Fawn lives and manages those people's estate, but also she's a member of the community in Amityville? Like she's involved in that conspiracy? The amount of contrivances required here are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's terrible too. And that is totally a scene that did not need to exist. And they have a terrible handshake at the end. It's yeah, all like uh-huh. weird and limp. Yep. Oh, God. This movie is so, so bad. God, there's flies, because if there weren't flies, it wouldn't be an Amityville movie. Right. (laughs) The acting is just atrocious. There's jokes about people being gay. Oh, throughout. There's a lot of homophobia in this movie. And asshole. Asshole. Like, they say things really strangely. I think it's because they're trying to not be a Canadian, but they are Canadian. And you shouldn't be bitching about your own brother like that either. I don't even know. They, they're they going to stay. It's her, her boyfriend, her boyfriend's brother, his friend, and her friend are going to go. And her friend is just really, really stupid and just nonstop jokes about her being dumb and these two guys that are supposed to be gay. One of them, they're not gay at all. One of them is strange. Whenever he speaks, he sounds like he's afraid of something, but right. nothing's happening. They probably told him, this is Matt, played by Kenny Benoit, they probably told him, oh, you know, you're going to be like the scaredy cat one. And so he's like, okay, every line I have, I need to act scared. And he has this joke where he constantly says, I don't know, and you know it's coming. You know it's coming. Because then Indy, the girlfriend, not, not our main character, but her girlfriend, played by Eva Kwok, asks him, Why do you always say, I don't know? Can you guess what his answer is? I don't know. 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 Do you know anything? I don't. Oh, wow. So clever. Yeah. And they do think they're clever. Like at one point, the girls joke about this is the only thing that's going to get inflated this weekend. This is the only thing that's going to get inflated this weekend. Talked about a guy getting a hard on by saying he got inflated. Inflated, yeah, uh huh. Constantly those sorts of lines. Like the writer felt like he needed some sort of remark about every single line to where it needed to be like funny or sexual in some way. And they're really, really tortured. Filled Kyle style, one hundred percent guaranteed. 
Yeah, 100% guaranteed to be filled with hot air. Like, really tortured jokes. You gotta stretch them really far. There's no way. Like, I could imagine hanging out with a bunch of not-so-funny friends who think they're funny, making these jokes, and then they have to explain to everyone why it's a joke, because everyone's gonna give them a hard time, because that was a really shitty joke, right? <laughs> but that is every single scene, every time somebody comments on anything, there is one of these tortured jokes. Why would anyone want to jump? You know, they were like depressed or have been in a fight with their girlfriend or something. Well, maybe, but why would anyone buy a ticket just to haul their ass up here and then jump off? You could just shoot yourself and save five bucks. And it's torture to the audience. Yes, and the brother of the boyfriend. It's weird, because I thought that at first the scared guy was the brother, but then I think later they made it clear that, no, the other guy is the brother. Oh, yeah, the brother, whose name is Jevin, by the way. Yeah, but goes like Jevin... Jevin. Jevin? Jevin, is that you? But so they're constantly like kind of putting Jeff down and like at one point they're like Scooby-Doo style and the girl's like, at least I'm not a dog and you have to be Scooby. It's just like, it's so just labored. Why don't we split into groups? Scooby-Doo style? Okay, Fred, do you want to come with Daphne? Hey, I'm not the geeky one. I don't want to be the one with the glasses. Velma. The one with the glasses. Uh, her name's Velma. I'm not being Velma. I'll come with you. And who does that make you? Uh, Shaggy, I guess. Hey, I guess that makes you Scooby. At least I didn't end up as a dog. Whatever. Everything is so labored. And, I, and then I said the joke to Chris. They used to call me Scoop. Now they <laughs> call me Poop. People call me Poop. And Chris goes... I think that movie was better than this one. Yes, talking about April Fools, which we hated, but was funny in its terribleness. <laughs> this is not. I don't. It's been a long time since I've watched April Fools. I'll never watch it again unless I have some sort of special reason. But I haven't listened to the episode since we recorded it. So I don't know. Maybe we really hated it and it wasn't fun at all. But in comparison to this, if you asked me. Would you rather watch Amityville Playhouse or April Fool's? I, in a heartbeat, I would say April Fool's, because at least I could laugh. <laughs> we get to meet Mary Jane. Not Mary Jane. That's the name she gives that's him. That's the name she gives him. Her name is Wendy, and oh, they right, never right. comment on how that's not actually her name, Mary yes. Jane. It's just she says her name is Mary Jane. And like, okay, and then they move on, and then later on they call her Wendy, and yes, there's no... Right. Comment. Yes, you are totally 100% correct. She will make a joke that really pissed Chris off. Uh, well, who is she? She's like a homeless person. A homeless she's person a goth living in this. Who lives in the theater. Who yeah. lives in mm -hmm. the theater. But also later, she's like a ghost. I don't really yes, know. She is a ghost. It's so confusing. She's a ghost. Okay. But she makes the joke, check out the big brain on Jeff. Yes. <laughs> that really pissed Chris off. It really did. I'm like, are they really making a Pulp Fiction joke? Mozzarella. It's Latin. means adore death. Check out the big brain on Jeff. Because every young wannabe screenwriter, especially somebody who was a young writer in the 90s, thought that they were the new quentin tarantino and would write like they were quentin tarantino or kevin smith but in this case it's quentin tarantino and so we got to put a pulp fiction reference in here it's not even delivered properly i'm not even sure that this person has seen the movie that she even knows that she's making a right reference. check out the big brain on bread 
Check out the big brain on Jeff. But she just keeps saying, I'm not leaving, because she assumes that the lady, the girl who owns the theater is going to force her to leave. But it doesn't matter, because she's a ghost, and it's just like, no other ghost hangs out with them this way. But, yeah. All right. And then, guys, I gotta say, after that, my notes really start to devolve, because the <sighs> movie's plot devolves. There's not really a plot anymore. They're just kind of walking around, and everybody kind of gets possessed. And, I mean, it's really it. Like, it's constantly like, did that really happen? I don't know. It's not there anymore. And just... So, yeah, they they split up like Scooby-Doo and they go searching throughout the place and they each encounter something. Two of them see somebody jump off the balcony and land on the ground and dead. And laugh and run away. Yeah, and nobody believes them when they say they saw it. Except for Wendy. She says weird stuff happens here all the time. Yeah. Uh, then they bust out a Ouija board because somebody brought a Ouija board. And that talks to them. Oh, after they figure out that they've been sealed in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I wrote down, I'm going to write, I'm going to share it here. I was going to wait, but I'll share it here. If we weren't watching it for the show, I would have turned this movie off by the time they opened the door to the theater. Mm -hmm. That's how right away I knew I didn't even want to give this movie a chance. I had given it enough chances just letting it get to that point. Yeah, and this reminded me a lot of Bloody New Year, because it's kind of the same thing. They're just kind of wandering around and weird shit happens. But again, at least Bloody New Year is funny. It's novel. <laughs> like, shit, that's in a theater. They go to a theater there, and, uh -huh. like, the, the film comes to life, and, like, things are happening. They did something with that. It's a bad movie, but it's a novel bad movie. This is a bad movie where nothing happens in a location that's ripe for... Fun they do moments. at one point fill the theater with ghosts and a lady singing, but that's like all that happens. Yeah, it's ugh. Uh, okay, we didn't say that Professor Stewart, Vic, said, you know what? I don't have anything to do this weekend. How about I look into the history of your theater? You know, and then when you come back to class, I'll share it with you. I think that'd be interesting. I'm a history buff. It'll give me something to do over the weekend. And then he fucking commits. He's <laughs> going to take a road trip to research this theater. <laughs> like he starts by going to a local bookstore and then that bookstore tells him we don't have anything on Amityville. And he's like, okay, I guess I'll just go to the library. It's just a bunch of scenes that are unnecessary. <laughs> we get a flashback to before he moved to America he goes to a pub and he talks to all of his friends and, oh, yeah, there's a guy there that nobody likes. And then he sits down with them and they don't like him very much. And he's like really jingoistic. But he doesn't matter. He doesn't factor into anything and jingoism doesn't factor into anything. So why is it even here? We get like a history lesson on what the Americans and Canadians did to the natives when they went to North America, right? Uh, and I guess you could say the British did it because they're the ones that came over here. But all the all those European cultures, how they fucked with Native Americans. And it's like, OK, it's Native American history time, I guess, because of the burial ground stuff. It, it's it's kind of a weird non sequitur in this story until later on. They're like, no, this place is haunted because of what the Europeans did to the Native Americans, I guess. But it's a story time. Native American cultures have a very rich history, and they have a good deal of what you call breeding. 
that was until we took civilization to them. I wouldn't call stealing their land and corrupting their culture civilizing. You should read up on your anthropology, Wayne. Native American oral histories and their historic references have every relevance to our own. Man, we really fucked with the Native Americans, didn't we? Yeah, you did, but why is this moment in the movie? None of this matters. This movie is so, like, nothing matters because by the end... Also, I should point out, okay, so people are going to get picked off one by one. They're not possessed in this movie. I wrote down. They are possessed. No, they're not. They they show this moment once during one of the quote unquote possessions. Somebody who is very obviously possessed leaves a room and then the camera pans and you see their dead body on the ground. They're being killed and replaced. Oh, okay. But like, what's the point of that? Because there's these six spirits that live in this theater. That need to be released by taking like once bodies. a year so or something like this. I don't know and I don't care. Something <laughs> like that. There's there, once a year these six spirits try need, to get need out. bodies or whatever. But no, it's so they, they won't try to get out. Is if they're given these these souls, basically, right? Legend further continues that if the appetites of the demons could be sated by the sacrifice of six souls every year, they would never emerge, and so the model world would be safe. So there's no reason that they need to take on the personage oh, so of these people. Here? Kind of, yeah, okay. yeah, uh huh. It is. That's right. We're still here. So like, none of this really jives. None of it really makes sense because they also talk about wanting to get out. It's like the whole reason that you're taking six souls is so you don't try to get out. So why are you taking the souls to try to get out? Like none of that makes sense. It's just they thought they came across a concept that was really creepy. But anyway, they're going to get picked off one by one. And ultimately, Stuart, Professor Stewart, is going to come to Amityville and he's going to want to talk to the mayor. And after he's done all of his research, the mayor's like, what do you think exactly is going on here or whatever? And Professor Stewart's like, I think... So can you explain to me why six people would be killed every year on this particular date? The village stands above some caves where they used to entomb their... still alive. Go on. There were six of them. Walled up because the, the, the tribe believed them possessed by demons. That's quite a story, and it's exactly right. And his henchman hits him over the head and knocks him out. A fascinating theory, Mr. Stewart. And 100% correct. Oh, what a twist. What a twist. They tie him up, and then the mayor, this Elliot Saunders, proceeds to exposit all over Professor Saunders. But he's letting him go. Yes. Okay, so that's the other thing. There's a twist and a twist. I cannot make amends for the evil of this town. I guess they're sacrificing firstborns. But who's the handyman guy? Is he the firstborn of somebody? I don't know. Who was that guy to the town? Was he from out of town? If he was from out of town, then obviously he's not one of the one of the firstborn. If he's from the town, how does he not know about this? He's a full-on adult. So, like, what? At, at, anyway, when the mayor pulls out his gun and is like, finally, I'm going to take care of this instead of shooting 
Professor Stewart, he shoots his henchman instead and then lets Professor Stewart out. And he's like, if you're going to save him, you got to do it now. I'm ashamed of everything that I've done up to this moment. And it's like a sharp left character turn, completely unmotivated. There's no explanation as to why he went along with everything up until this point. None. So by this point, everyone's being taken one by one. And like Matt and Wendy are trying to get out when Professor Stewart shows up at the theater. And he's like, Matt, you got to get out of here. I'm going to try to save the rest. And Wendy's like, hey, that guy just saved your life. And Matt leaves. And then Wendy's just disappeared. She's gone. Meanwhile, Stewart's going inside trying to save people, but everyone's already been taken. And then he gets swarmed, I guess, by people. And we see the outside of the theater. All the citizens are just standing there watching the theater because they all decided they wanted to watch at this moment or something. Because somehow, all in on it. but somehow they were able to time this woman from out of town deciding she wanted to use this weekend to visit the theater. I'm shocked you remember this much about the story. My notes are like, can I give you a glimpse? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, what? go ahead and go through your notes. It's okay. Okay. When they realize that they have be- they've been sealed in, one of them says, who cares? Someone changed the locks. That's easy enough to do. While they were in yes, there? Yes, <laughs> I just have a billion question marks there. I heard music, but it's stuff that my grandma used to listen to, so I just figured it was coming from outside. <laughs> what? What? Yep. Um, I haven't even gotten to one of the most bonkers things yet, but go ahead. <laughs> when she sees all the people sitting in the in the theater watching the performance, one person looks at her, then she looks back up at the lady singing, who's now looking at her, then she looks out at the audience, they're all looking at her. Oh, that creepy thing where all the ghosts are looking at you is like, oh. Then she looks away again, and then they're all standing. Uh-huh. Right? And then she has this terrible scream. <laughs> And suddenly her boyfriend is right next to her. And he's just like, are you okay? I heard you scream. And you're like, where did you come from? Where were you? When they are playing with the random ass Ouija board, it's like they say they need to go into a bigger room for the spirits to resonate. And you're just like, what? I think that might have been said by Wendy, which makes more sense when you realize that she's a ghost. But... Do they need a Ouija board if they're already talking to a ghost? Right, I'm they're confused. literally talking to a ghost right there. Here, oh, you know what? Hold on, let me. Wendy corrects the pronunciation of Ouija, and she's like, it's Ouija for the French word and the German word for yes. It's a Ouija board. Ouija. It originates from the French and German language, meaning yes. Listen, lady. <laughs> um, actually... <laughs> The French word for yes is we, and the German word for yes is ya. It wouldn't be we ja, it would be we ya. (laughs) If you're going to correct them on that basis. Wait, you mean that it really means yes, yes? Yes. (laughs) It does come from the French word for yes, we, and the German word for yes, ya. But the manufacturers will tell you it's pronounced Ouija. You can say Ouija. But neither one of those is based on the pronunciation of the words for yes. So the fact that she would correct them and use that as her basis. So stupid. I'm going to call it we from now on. we 
After everything they've seen, Kyle still says, I brought beer, we can't go to bed, which I thought was (laughs) hilarious. When we find out about the firstborn, it's said totally just like, and uh, just an offhand comment the yeah. lady just says oh it's my firstborn and you're just like what as the audience just completely left in the dark when he goes to find out the history the of the town the person's like why do you want to know our history yeah. like it couldn't be more obvious that they're hiding uh-huh. something hey i just wanted to learn about the history of amityville what why would you want to know that I mean, (laughs) go right ahead. (laughs) There's a part where I think this is after some of them have been, well, you say they've been replaced, not. Yeah, they're not possessed, they're replaced. But so, like, Kyle is walking towards the theater or something, like the entrance or whatever. And, like, one of them says, here's your ticket, Kyle. You don't want to be late or something like that. Kyle, where's your ticket? Show's about to start. They all have these really deep voices when yes. they get turned. It's uh-huh. really funny. And they talk to other people who aren't turned yet. And the other people maybe comment on like, why are you doing that silly voice? But then like never, it doesn't ever go any further than that. Oh, you're almost at the point where I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Somebody says, I'm going to pin him down and take a dump on his face. And I don't know who it is. I'm sure it's Kyle. I don't know why he says it. You're nuts if you think I'm staying here on my own. Well, Jevin can stay with you, and that way you can make sure he doesn't wander off again. Because if he does, I swear to God, I'm going to pin down and take a dump on his face. And then I wrote his face. Oh, my God. At some point, one of them gets... I think it's Jevin's face. A crazy makeover for when he gets replaced. Jevin is one of the first ones that's turned, and man... They're like, you really look shitty. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Like, and so drastically shitty that I'm sorry, you wouldn't go, oh, man, you look bad. You should get some rest. I'd be like, oh, my God, do you have some sort of rapid onset disease? Do you need to go to the hospital? (laughs) Question for you, Kelsey. If they're locked inside, how does Professor Stewart get inside to save them? Do you remember? No. The mayor... After he kills the henchman and unties Professor Stewart, he gives him the key to the city, (laughs) which actually does work on any lock in the city, which I guess means it's fucking magical. It's like what a kid thinks that uh, the key to the city means. They say that in like TV shows and stuff like that. It's what a kid thinks means. Oh, it gives you access. That's what it's supposed to symbolize. Yes, it's a symbol, but it's like, you know, children think. But it doesn't literally give you access to anywhere in the city. Yeah. Oh my God. And he uses it and it works. And very obviously it's like this. It's like what you would expect a key to the city to be. Not one of those giant ones that take two hands to carry but like you know you might see it in a little box or in a frame it's an overgrown looking old-timey key and it very obviously would not fit in the lock of this theater this deadbolt lock thing so you just see him bring the key close to the lock and the camera kind of pans up or it's just out of frame (laughs) and then it's like oh it's open now (laughs) yep yep oh my god i don't know i don't understand anything i I just want to stop talking about this piece of shit. Hold on. The ending. I wrote fucking whiplash with this plot. This mayor is bonkers. He also reveals to Stuart that Fawn, 
is actually a twin. Yeah. And she's the youngest twin by however many minutes or whatever. And her older twin sister, Adrian, was already taken. Yes. And so when Stuart goes into the theater and he grabs Fawn, who has since disappeared long ago, but we've seen everyone else turn, grabs her to take her out. They open the door and all the people are there staring at them like, oh, shit, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here, Fawn. And then Vaughn turns to him and grabs him, and now all of a sudden her face changes, and she's like, I'm Adrian, or whatever. That's what my last line meant. If we run, I'm sure we can make it. It's Adrian. I wrote, why the fuck would it be Adrian? Because if you remember, there are six spirits that take these souls. Why all of a sudden would Adrian's soul be one of these six spirits? Why are you trying to make it make sense? Who cares? It's stupid. It doesn't fucking make sense. It's stupid. I think I mentioned this earlier, but I have a note here that says, oh my God, do I love this movie? No. No, No, I don't. No, I don't. I will never watch this movie again. It might sound wacky with the key to the city and like all of this stuff going on. It is not. They are not having fun with this whatsoever. No. They think that this is legitimate horror stuff. I, okay, when I think back on movies like April Fool's and Bloody New Year, I immediately think of the things that made me smile. Yes. There's nothing about this movie that makes me smile. Right. No, nothing. Although, mm, there is one thing that I haven't mentioned because it doesn't figure into the plot really anywhere. But Jevin hates Kyle because Kyle is always picking on him. They're the brothers, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a moment where you got to follow us on Twitter because I will be posting this. Because I don't think it comes across in the audio. You just got to see it. The combination of the visuals and the audio. At Pod Cemetery, follow us on Twitter. Kyle says something to Jevin, and then Jevin turns to him and is like, quit it, Kyle. Like he's like puffed up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to finally had enough or whatever. And just the way that he turns and the delivery and then the immediate just no follow up. <laughs> all the energy that was built by that quit it, Kyle, just boom, just inflates. <laughs> it's terrible. There are not enough words to describe how awful bad it's bad and wrong it's badong killing is wrong and bad there should be a new stronger word for killing like bad wrong or badong yes killing is badong horrible horrendous yeah like when people say that amityville gets bad i really hope this is the worst of it i Don't know if it is. Don't know. I'd be very surprised if there's one that's worse than this. So, Kelsey, with that in mind, what do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Zero. There are no reviewer scores. It's just audience scores. Zero. 21%. It's too high. Yeah. There aren't even 20 reviews for this. It's too high. This is a nothing of a movie. It is very, very too high. There were a few professional reviews. Tim Brayton of 
some site called Alternate Ending said it manages to look the part of a horror film, though it's not able to do anything else. And he gave it half a point out of five, which I imagine is the lowest score he can give. And then Leslie Felperin of The Guardian said it's so bad one starts to wonder if it's all not some kind of elaborate satanic joke that induces a kind of giddy demonic hilarity. But it doesn't. Remember when I wrote, do I actually love this movie? Because I was thinking maybe along those lines. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. It does not. She gave it a one out of five. What would you give this movie, Kelsey? I'm giving it a zero. I am giving it a zero as well. Because there are those movies out there that are god-awful, but you can look back and smile. (laughs) Like you say. Uh-huh. And to Kelsey's point, there aren't any moments like that. No. It's just... You want you are waiting for this movie to end. I was legitimately tempted to say, let's not do this movie and just stop watching it. Mm-hmm. That's how bad it was. Yeah. I think this might be the worst movie we've seen all year. Yep. I'm pretty, pretty confident in that. <laughs> are there any others that we gave zeros? Close, Wishmaster 3. Kelsey gave it a 3. There you go. And I gave it a 0. I'll always know what you did last summer. You gave it a 2. And I gave it a 0. Like, this is... I, it's, it's more than two <laughs> or three points worse than those movies. Yes. That's how terrible it is. Jesus. Oh, and that is 2015's The Amityville Playhouse. Thus ending our Amityville week. Kelsey, what are we watching next week? It's Christmas time! It is! It's Christmas time, and you know what that means, folks? Christmas horror movies! That's right. So what's next week? First, we're going to watch To All a Good Night, is our old movie. Okay. And then we have been recommended to watch Ginger Dead Man. Yeah, T.G. Rhyme recommended it to us, so thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Back in 2019, <laughs> so we are finally getting to it. Yes. Our buddy Bob, who we've had on the show before, I believe it was our Christine episode when he joined us. We were originally going to have him join us uh, for this week's episode, but unfortunately he wasn't able to make it. He went to Florida for some other special thing, which I hope really, really works out for him. So good luck, Bob. We'll have him in the new year. He ended up voicing the ginger dead man. But in the first one, it's Gary Busey. (laughs) Yes. So looking forward to that, I guess. It's another one of those full moon productions. You know, you know the ones. Mm -hmm. So to all a good night and ginger dead man. That is next week. Until then, you can find us on our website, podcemetery.com. Or like I said before, on Twitter at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review in your podcatcher of choice. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there. But even better than that is when you share us with your friends. And even better than that is you just listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey... Any last words? Why didn't you shoot that pig? I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery.
it to the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape Smoldings and fangs that are picking up We need to use that way more often. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? What's the matter with you people? Wacko family. What have you done with your brother?